Hello, welcome to the next edition of the Death Labs podcast here, sponsored by Net & Rich. I am your host, John Bambanek. This podcast brought to you by Harry's Razor, because you'll notice I'm lacking facial hair now. But uh, <laughs> we'll take a break after RSA. I figured it was a good time to uh, to shave the irritation out of my facial hair from that experience. Uh, and we're back at it. <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't take the same, John. Yeah, no, no. I, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm the exception in the cybersecurity world, uh, not not the rule in that score. So uh, today we're joined by uh, Donald McCarthy Mac from Open Source Context, a passive DNS provider that I've used and, and worked with for for several years now. Uh, so thank you uh, for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, you know, we talked a little bit before recording, you know, I'm working on my PhD thesis and a lot of my work has been tracking problems in DNS for some time. It's probably what I'm most known for in the industry. Uh, and one of the things I've seen creating machine learning models uh, like to classify domains is, you know, several years ago, we started tracking newly observed domains, right? Anything that's under X days is suspect because most people don't operationalize their domains immediately. We noticed attackers were buying the domains and then executing attacks. Uh, and then some years later, you know, I come in to do research and noticed attackers were holding on to domains. And this is a couple of years ago. This is early pandemic when I was doing this uh, or pre-pandemic, actually. You know, attackers are holding on to domains about 38 days before launching attacks because then the namespace is so large, you really couldn't operationalize it, except, yeah. that, you know, um, we're just to quantify your large, by the way, uh, was looking this morning when I was, you know, when when I was kind of doing the, the background work for this. And um, there was a report that that came out and I, I can't remember who it's from, but I, I can get it for you for show notes and the like. Um, but it was something like one hundred and fifty six million domains. Um, in, in Q4 2022, uh, went into the .com and .net space. Right. I mean, it's just a preposterous large number that you can't operationalize. You could do a query after the fact, maybe, you know, but uh, we were at an event in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, last week, week ago. I don't know. Time blurs. Yeah. Having fun. You know, you talked about some different elements of, of findings of how uh, some subset of threat actors are using the domain space to defeat basically our reputational systems in the cybersecurity industry. So, so with that, you know, it's like, what, what are you seeing as a passive DNS provider of what threat actors are doing to try to get around our defenses? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, it was an accident that I stumbled on this in some ways. Uh, you know, you speak of your, your ML research on, on the domain names. Obviously we worked uh, pre pandemic and into the pandemic on, uh, you know, trying to do some DGA type classification against ransomware stuff through, you know, passive DNS and other sources too. Um, and in doing so, I found several attacks um, that led up to the SolarWinds attacks, but I noticed this like really prominently uh, when the SolarWind attacks came out and uh, uh you know, FireEye put out the research or Mandiant put out the research and said, you know, here are the domains that that were used for C2. Here are the domains that were um, used in the attack. And what I noticed about some of those domains is that they were six, eight years old at that point. Uh, and when I went back and looked at it in, in the passive DNS, because obviously um, uh, you published some stuff that, you know, we had in our data set, we, we jointly worked together to do that. Um, I was obviously talking with reporters um, uh, here and there as you were. 
um, just about these things. And one of the things, again, that I noticed six, eight year old domains. So I go back and I start looking and there were some oddities to these domains. And um, the the oddities were that there were several shifts in their name servers um, approximately a year to two years apart. Um preceding up and then several months before the attack there was yet another shift in the name servers but the name servers um were things like cedo and cedo is a, a kind of a secondary domain uh seller if you will uh you register johnbabinek.com uh you don't uh renew it for whatever reason your credit card expires that's on file whatever it doesn't renew you don't notice it inside your grace period and your domain is gone um and oftentimes the registrars um, you know, GoDaddy is, is one, uh, they actually have their own auction house, um, for some of this stuff. Uh, and there's a whole market of preemptively buying domains and, and putting them in a secondary market to try and, and speculate, uh, on profit for certain things. Um, we're seeing this, especially in some of the new GTLDs and, and some of the stuff where, you know, somebody registers download.zip and then puts it on the market for, you know, $900 or something like that. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, there was a local guy to where I live, run, ran, uh, ran a bus company. I don't think he runs it anymore, who is just popular in the domain speculation thing 20 some odd years ago, right? In the Wild West and registered major brands and sat on it, you know, and uh, I think was the recipient of some of the first litigation of brand management on domain names because he was kind of a uh, a typo squatting troll he didn't he did it part speculation and part harassment i think um you know but it was part of that litigation early on right so i mean all this sure. has been going on for a long time yeah this, this is not new i i think the new thing that i've kind of seen in this is is not the process by any stretch of the imagination uh the secondary domain market has existed for at least a decade but but likely much longer um the, the thing that I've seen, if you remember that one, <laughs> exactly. Um, the thing that I have seen lately, though, is like if you go back and you look at the solar winds, they specifically use domains that were multiple years old. Um, I can't remember when IncomeUpdate.com or .net, whatever it was, was you know registered, but it had been you know a, a number of years prior, and several months before uh, it was used, uh, we could see a transfer in ownership. Um, and that uh, come about. And I was really curious as to how this was. And this is where I went and I, you know, I, I, I looked up and I found CETO and, and other uh, places and, and thinking about this. And I've, I had done some previous research on APT31, which was actually using CNAME for command and control on some stuff, um, which we found using that DGA uh, type uh, ML algorithm that we were looking at. Um, and so these things started to come in and, and what I'm was starting to see was more frequent use of, um, both, uh, state sponsored type actors, APT type actors, as well as criminal actors. And, and we put some numbers around it. Um, when we looked at domains where we had positively identified cobalt strike or positively identified, uh, brute retail, um, you know, being, uh, hosted on these domains where, um, they were taking these older domains and, and I speculated as to why, and I still believe that my speculation is correct. And it's about the reputation system, right? It's about bypassing that proxy filter. It's about bypassing the, the freshly seen domain sets um, and 38 days. Well, I don't know if we do a quarter at 150 million and we do a, you know, a third of that, that's roughly 50, you know, 50, 55 million domains, maybe. 
on, on a 38 day domain space, that's already a large space. But what they're forcing you to do is 10 years of that. Yeah. Right. Um, and in that 10 year gap, you know, there there's billions of possibilities to do that. Um, so I think that um, the point that I came by was that I'm going to go register this domain that had a positive reputation. It was used for something legitimate in the past. And instead of me having to try and think six years ahead as an intelligence agency, uh, a foreign intelligence agency, or uh, a, a, a cybercrime-based attacker on what my target needs to look like six years from now so I can go register that domain and sit on it for six years um, and, and force it to do things. I now have the secondary domain market where I can go in and say, well, you know, I'm going to have these things that may look legit based on this target. And um, for some of the cobalt strike stuff that we saw, um, it was very much um, in line with verticals and other stuff of reported attacks, um, you know, by particular groups. So it made this almost an as a service uh, type offering, right? I can now go and say, um, uh, for instance, uh, I personally bought uh, B-I-A-N-C-N-E.com uh, mm-hmm. on CETO. It was like $81. Um, and, and one of the ways that I found it is because they metric these things really well. They put them out on parking pages. They have ads. You can know how many hits were in the past 30, 60, 90 days. You know, the different referral strings that came out of that. So you can really start to measure traffic. So if I were wanting to use that as an attacker. One of the other parts is, is I don't have to register 15 things and see which one's going to work best. I, I register the one that the secondary domain vendor has told me will likely work best. So we've kind of seen the evolution into that where um, 38 days is not going to cut it anymore. 75 days is not going to cut it. A year is not going to cut it because I'm going to go back and register this. And I think other things that, you know, I've come across and and in talking to people that I've seen in some of the same pieces that there are attackers that are looking for these domains to expire on legacy IP space that has been somewhat abandoned by a company, right? Uh, I mean, the value of a, a slash 16 um, or, or even a slash 21, um, I mean, is it's a non-trivial value uh, anymore, especially for uh, people who have almost no cost uh, associated with getting this and maintaining it. Um, so we've seen a number of different ways that it's used. And, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunately, uh, it's it's biting us. And, and the problem space is large. It's, it's just incredibly large. Right. You know, and, and it's been a lot of conversation in cybersecurity about machine learning and AI and like there's attributes of domains that, you know, we see, you know, when they're new that we can use, uh, you know, newly observed, doesn't have an MX record, you know, no DNS sec or IPv6, so on and so forth. You know, no page rank, no Google searches, no backlinks, right? You know, all, all sorts of things that can point to this, right? These legacy domains that transfer hands, they have a page rank. They have backlinks, you know, there may not be any effective content, so you might not find them in search engines, but there's no authoritative way to say this is something that was expired and now has come out of uh, out of expiration because it's changed hands. Right. And, and that's that's a problem. And part of what I was trying to talk about was just how big that problem space is and how hard it is to solve. Um, and a fact that, you know, with 
AI, ML, with the big data machines that we have, Elasticsearch and Hadoop and, you know, any other number of, of open source projects, let alone the closed source projects um, that do it. You've got Google and Chronicle where, you know, you can ingest trillions of records. It's not a problem. And you can search across them. The problem that I found is then actively going back out and determining if that is still problematic. That's where the problem comes out. Doing a trillion uh, DNS resolutions a day, uh, that's that's difficult. Doing it without getting filtered is almost impossible um, because you just create so much noise. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, you honestly start to look like an attacker. Right. You start to look like somebody who's enumerating the DNS space. Exactly. Right. Um, So you have a tacker like with Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So um, the thing is, is, you know, if we're talking about a billion as the problem space, which I think is a little low, but we'll leave that, you know, to be um, if we're talking about a billion being the you know, the problem space and we've got eighty six thousand four hundred seconds in a day and we do some simple math. Uh, one billion. That's a million. Yeah, my iPhone only lets me go to a hundred million. Um, so even if we did a hundred million divided by eighty six thousand four hundred, we're still talking, you know, eleven hundred plus DNS resolutions of a, you know a second. We, you know, obviously we multiply that by a hundred and and we get the piece. We're, we're talking about big numbers, right? Yeah. Um, and. So expect an organization to be able to protect themselves and that every organization on the planet, the coffee shop down the street, the, you know, or even a large financial institution to spin up the amount of resources to get that done, to diversify them in a way that's not going to get filtered so that they get accurate results is just absolute insanity. Um, It's cost prohibitive. It's time prohibitive. It's yeah, it's a mess. I want to say is you know every year I'm sure you get this like you know what do you think the f- upcoming year is going to be you know for cybersecurity what are the trends things are going to suck harder and at greater scale right yeah uh, is, I mean, is, is 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 my answer but I come up with something more professional you know and and probably less honest you know as a result right <laughs> but I mean you or you talk about that and and is like you know as you're talking about this, I was thinking like how much IPv6 will break things. Um, see, now I thought I turned off all the beeps and boops. I forgot about the legacy phone. And I think there's a lesson here for everything. It's a 20, 30, 40 year old technology that bites you that you don't ever think about. Sure. Um, so, um, where was I going? Like IPv6, right? We think of, you know, census and Shodan and all of the stuff that we can do with IP reputation. Try to do that in IPv6. Now let's just assume you had the compute, the memory, the storage, and the bandwidth to do that. You could measure the impact of trying on its impact on the planet in terms of resource consumption. You know, well, look, I, 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 I had this discussion and, you know, I don't think most people that are going to see this uh, would not know that you and I are friends um, and, and talk fairly often. We had this discussion probably six weeks, a couple months ago, something like that. And the fact that I'm I'm all, you know, the, the whole daylight savings debacle that's going on through Congress and everything else right now. Um, I, I'm not even really interested in just eliminating daylight savings time. Like, let's just eliminate time zones. How much money do we spend in Sims and other things every year computing the difference in a time zone? And for instance, you sent me the link to do this podcast recording. It came through. It's scheduled up on my phone for 9 a.m., right? 9 a.m. my time, not 9 a.m. your time. So 
Yeah. Here we are exchanging three text messages, which, yeah, the cost is insignificant and the time is not much. But you put that at a scale of, of human factor in business. How much money are we spending just computing time zones? Oh, you know, the number of times that there have been snafus. I've got a globally distributed team. Right. And we're not even talking even our increments of time zones. Yeah, you'll you'll infer what country I'm talking about <laughs> where it's, you know, a half an hour difference. Sure. Right? But, you know, it's it's a pain. Right. You know, and, you know, it's all this mental block. Oh, I want to get up at 8 a.m. or whatever. It's like, what does the number really mean? You know, you just adjust to what it is that, you know, UTC. You know, because there will be our nod to British imperialism. We all measure time based on on the British Empire's, uh, you know, day. Um, but whatever. I mean, you know, pick pick a convention and go. with Just it. an interesting little anecdote to that, by the way, was talking with uh, a Brit not long ago. And we were talking about the half hour time zones and the British military issue watches uh, of past. And uh, part of the reason for the rotating bezel on the watch was in the half hour time zones when they were uh, running across, they could actually just take their watch off, flip it upside down and then use the bezel for the hours. And because you were a half hour time zone, your minute hand works again. Um, (laughs) A very analog solution. But um, again, I mean, there's a cost to all of this. No, no, there is. Right. You know, and, you know, I I guess there's a benefit. Right. You know, my one daily show appearance was based on daylight savings time changes 15 years ago. So maybe I'll get another daylight savings time, you know, segment out of it. (laughs) But, yeah, you go to the IPv6 space and it's it's kind of interesting and unique. Um, You know, I'm I'm sitting in my home office, you know, where I have a residential uh, Internet service provider connection. Um, not paying a whole lot for it. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a gigabit down, you know, just a consumer grade, you know, basic, uh, cable connection. And, um, the thing about it is I can't remember how big a space they issue me, but I think I may actually get my own slash 64 of IPv6 assigned, uh, in addition to my IPv4 address. Yeah. Like Um, in in V6, you can assign, you know, you know, uh, several million 64s you know, and still not exhaust the space. I, I, I calculate, I don't know, it's a million, a billion, whatever number is a preposterous number of just network net blocks. Sure. Well, I mean, the, the minimum that you can announce into the BGP tables on IPv6 is a slash 48. And if I recall correctly, that's a slash 16 worth of slash 64s. Right. right? So it's, you know, it's 6,535 slash 64s. And I can't remember how many IPv6 addresses are in a 64, but I'm not going to fill that 64 with all the devices in my home in the next 20 years. I don't think. No, I, it, it's actually, you know, one of my patents is using IPv6 destination addresses as a replacement for cookies for, for, you know, basically network based security policy, right? Cause Hey, you own the whole 64. 64 bits of entropy is a lot of entropy, right? You know, here it is, but that seems to be a long lived session cookie at that point. Well, yeah, no, no, you, you put in something to rotate it, right? You know, at a given time, you know, you know, use whatever hashing algorithm to, to rotate it on a daily, hourly, minutely basis. Gotcha. You know, uh, then you can have rotating session cookies at a network level. And as long as there's not real time snooping in the, in the wire, you're good. Sure. You know, I don't know if anybody will ever operationalize it, but hey, you know, I guess among other things, now I can call myself an inventor and part of the ongoing, <laughs> you, know, you know, debacle that is intellectual property law. 
Well, and I don't know this. I mean, we went off on what seems like four or five tangents on this, but it, again, it 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 kind of proves how big the problem space is, right? There are that many tangents in in five minutes of discussion just around a single slash sixty four type IPv six space. Um, so these problems are not going to get smaller. Um, I, I don't see, especially with you know IPv six. I mean, we've been saying it's coming for, what, a decade now, um, but it's not really coming. It is here. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people that are using it, um, n- not to the extent of IPv4, obviously, but uh, mm-hmm. that just that just multiplies the problem space. And it mm-hmm. means that domains are going to be all that much more important. Because no. who's, who's going to remember a 128-bit hex address? No one. No, you might remember a few IP addresses. I know I've got a few off the top of my head. Right. You know, of like personal ones. I mean, there's the memorable ones of 8.8.8.8 and 1.1.1.1 and and whatever. Yeah. They're memorable because they're a single number and, you know, uh, four octals. Right. No. DNS was made to make the Internet human accessible. Sure. Uh, You know, but anything human accessible is human exploitable. And a lot of the techniques, you know, you know, are repetitions and rehashes, right? The, everything we everything we do is public, right? We're talking about the problem on a podcast. You know, some nation state actor might be listening in. You know, hey, works for me and you know, inflates my listener count. Click like and subscribe. You know, intelligence agents <laughs> in the world. Thank you. Uh, you know, but um, you know, everything we do is public, and they find ways around it. It's one of the reasons I like this industry is there's always something new that's going on. Right. Well, we were discussing before we started recording. You and I, you and I have work into our seventies, uh, if we want, oh, yeah. with, without a doubt. Right. You know, but I, you know, I, I forget who I was talking to. It was like an executive coach I work with. It's just every two or three years, I just kind of reinvent. Hey, this is the thing I'm known for, right? You know, in 2013, 2014, it was DGAs, right? You know, uh, then it was malware configs and creating a dis- database of that, and then it was you know near time tracking of Bitcoin transactions, right? And you know. Part of the reason I was in Pittsburgh last week is try to, you know, be around and see if I can come up with an idea of what I'm going to be known for for the next couple of years. Sure. Um, you know, and we can do that. Right. And that's I mean, that's a good thing. There's plenty of people in our industry who beat the same drum for 10 years uh, and keep going until it's dead. But I don't know. I was a latchkey kid in the 80s. I don't have that kind of attention span. You know, I'm like, what's what's new? Let's do something. Maybe. A good example of that, though, and the fact that I don't know that it's going to be dead is we've got our good friend Ronnie Tukazowski that's that's beating the BEC and and pig butchering drums and has been for years and is continuing to beat them. And the problem is not getting any better. No, no. Right. The problem the problems only get worse. Right. You know, I, I was talking to somebody else in anti, uh, anti-spam, uh, you know, Serbal, you know, of just trying to to actually get more rapid takedowns of spam and phishing campaigns and he's like after 22 years of beating this drum we're now getting people to listen to us where we're making the problem slightly better after two decades yeah we're making the problem slightly better but i don't think it's actually gotten better because again we go back to this whole thing that we're talking about right the problem space has increased exponentially but we've made slight gains on being able to do something about it right you know and yeah. And that's not all doom and gloom to say that we can't do these things, but um, I, I think that we have to engineer better systems. I, and 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 I'm, I'm I've I've engaged with you know some folks at ICANN. There has to be a way 
Um, we have to create a, an ability to be able to do things like say, and, and this is not a, a privacy invasion thing, right? I'm not interested in necessarily knowing who owns the domain all the time. Uh, I think that ship sailed with private registrations and all the other stuff, which I don't necessarily disagree with, right? I remember when I first registered my domain, how much additional mail and other crap that I got both at my house and in my inbox just from registering a domain. So I understand that it served a purpose. Um, but there were a lot of unintended consequences down the line. And one of these things that we do is not being able to know when the domain changes hands, when the domain changes purposes, means that the secondary domain market for uh, spammers, for uh, you know uh, initial access brokers through cobalt strike beacons or, or whatever else they want for ransomware deployment, um, for nation state actors that that problem space is just getting larger and it's just getting easier to hide in the noise. Um, we can solve some of these things. Um, it's just going to take some unpopular moves, right? It's not going to be popular to have a bit flag in uh, the, the TLDs or, you know, CC or GTLD registries of this domain change hands. It's already very unpopular to have to provide um, identification uh, to register it. And, and I go back to some of the, the domains that do in certain circumstances, um, India, if you want to register the .in domain, um, you have to provide them some kind of documentation to say who you are. That doesn't mean you can't forge it, um, but it does mean that there's another step, another piece of friction in the process. And as such, XYZ versus .in and the trash that's an XYZ versus the trash that may be in .in is a grossly different story. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the same is true for .cn. Uh, the last time I looked, I, you know, I don't know what it is today, .ru. I used to have infrastructure in the Russian Federation. Um, you know, they wanted information, right? You know, you could think, oh, I don't want to give information to those jurisdictions. I'm like, they already have the information I'm giving them. You know, <laughs> yeah, they, you got, they got OMDB. <laughs> yeah, they, they know everybody. I'm, I'm not worried that they're going to have my driver's license number, right? You know, if they, if they yeah. wanted to steal from me, they could, you know, and, you know, that's just that, right? You know, but that's not what those threat actors are interested in. They're not They're not trying to, to commit credit card fraud that I just need to make a couple of phone calls to make go away, right? Right. You know, and they know full well who 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 we are, right? And not to pick yeah, on I'm I'm sure you know foreign threat actors registering things in .us attract similar types of attention. That's just the wheel that goes around. It is, and and look, we go to all these conferences, and you know, I I don't know how many conferences I've been to with you now, but a number of them. Um, some of them public, some of them invite only. Uh, but I'm under no. Uh, mistake that even at a lot of these invite only conferences, um, the, the, the foreign threat actors are there to watch our presentations too. No doubt. One of my favorite pranks, right? During a talk, right? Of, of me and a buddy several years ago at a, at a, uh, a, a foreign security company, space security conference that clearly was going to attract intelligence agency attention. Just just to start the talk is like, all right, everybody who's got cell phones in there. Right. And they're all burners. Right. It's that kind of a conference. We're bringing burners to this one. All right. Pull the batteries out of your phones. Right. Everybody pulls them out or most people. Well, that's an interesting signal in and of itself right there. But that was that was the talk. 
is that we just made a bunch of people sit up at their desks in about a dozen different intelligence office offices. Like what the hell is going on in that room right now? Yeah. 95 phones just went off simultaneously. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I can't remember who I was talking to with some, uh, one of the LE agencies, uh, agencies, uh, was at a conference and they had mentioned that they had found somebody basically because there were four cell phones that came from four different places. They all hit approximately the same place when they turned their cell phone off. And I guess what ended up happening is, um, you know, they, they were paranoid enough to know that they needed their cell phones off. They weren't paranoid enough to know that when they all threw their cell phones in the, the freezer, um, in a, in a, um, uh, Faraday bag at the same time, uh, that it wouldn't go noticed. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's patterns in the noise, right. You know, and it is them, right. And then we're, we're talking the flip side of that problem, right. You know, there's a pattern, right. Finding it at scale is difficult. We can find it retroactively. Right. And we did in, in the solar winds breach in those domains. It's, it's easy when I'm manually looking, but to do it proactively to sit there and say, uh, you know, to help threat hunters say, Hey, these things are suspect right proactively and just flag it hey go take a review of this one versus all right now something bad happened and all of the effort that went into i mean part of what what our work enabled is to help you know 1400 some odd victims know that they were potential victims and had other things to look for versus right we're all reading the same wall street journal article or wherever it was published and trying to figure out do i have to care about this or not right uh, you know, that, that is important. I, I think, you know, going back to, you know, throwing a bit in the transfer of purpose or the transfer of, of ownership or whatever um, isn't popular. I'm not trying to do that. And, and I guess one of the things that I want people to understand when I'm standing up and talking about this is I'm not trying to do that to put a negative reputation on anything. Um, you've known me for long enough now, and I, and I talk about our PDNS stuff that we do. And um, there is nothing that I find for the most part. I mean, there are some exceptions to this rule, but as in general, when I'm looking at passive DNS or DNS or other indicators, there's not necessarily anything that's bad or good about an indicator. It's it's an indicator of some sort, and it's the indicator combined with other indicators that helps you start to make a decision, you know, towards context, right? Um, which is kind of how we, you know, we got the name of the company, open source context, right? You know, context is king. Um, it's about adding, it's about adding data to be able to make those points. So for me, it's not about trying to say it's good or bad, because that's dumb. Just saying a domain is good or bad. It, you know, until you have other things like, oh, yeah. well, there are four malware samples that are, you know, checking into it via C2 or so you can't necessarily make that decision. But to say that its reputation should reset, that's that's kind of my goal. I don't want to call it a zero day domain that has a whole another connotation to it, but we need to have a day zero reset um, for, for that domain. Um, and that's kind of what my whole premise and talk um, is about. And, and obviously, I put a bunch of numbers and statistics and some other stuff that uh, that was on the the the, the slides to to kind of be able to help um, show the size of the problem, uh, the scale of the problem, um, and and how uh, going out and actively resolving you know a billion domains is not gonna is not gonna move the needle. No, not at all. No. And, and, and you're right. Right. And like I said, some transparency matters. Right. You know, it's, you know, names have, you know, human reputation. Right. 
And there's plenty of sites that we visit that we may only go to very rarely and occasionally knowing that it's now, now a different person helps. Even if I don't know who that person is, ownership has changed hands, right? You know, maybe there's a merger, maybe there's an acquisition. There's plenty of benign changes of hands, right? You know, percent. The, the indicator itself is a mixed indicator, right? Because, hey, the domain changed hands. What was an M&A event, a bankruptcy, you know, whatever, you know, there's plenty of benign changes of hands, right? It's just a data point. Absolutely. And if I'm a third-party risk uh, person, right, if I'm a compliance team and uh, this happens to the the company that manages our 401k or whatever else. Um, I kind of want to know. No, yeah, it's time right. to reset, the, 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 you time know, to reset the risk score. Exactly. Um, now, I, I think the reality, though, is that if you're a legit 401k provider, especially if you're a big one, your reputation is going to restore itself in, al- almost immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's not going to be a problem. Um, so that, you know, that's one of the pushbacks that I got. Well, you know, if, if we acquire a company does, you know, why would it take 12 months to rebuild that reputation? I, I don't think it does. Um, I, I don't think it would. Um, and if it did, I think that there are ways to deal with that. IE, uh, why don't you not put them on a private registration and, you know, register it through a VeriSign or, or you know, one of the other, not, was it VeriSign that does the, the, um, uh, management? I, I can't remember. Mark monitor. Um, or Mark Monitor, something yeah, no, like that. No, Mark, yeah, yeah. Mark Monitor, I use. If Mark Monitor, it's benign. For the most part, yeah. Well, it, the domain space is benign. There could still yeah. be a compromised subdomain or host Absolutely. name. Yes. Yeah. Right. But the domain, the domain owner is almost certainly legitimate to go through the scrutiny and paying a premium of Mark Monitor because I mean, th- there's other services. Exactly. Provides. If you're now, concerned about brand, did we just give a roadmap to you know Fancy Bear or you know Ocean Lotus to use Mark Monitor? Maybe. Well, I, I think you no. Know, <laughs> if they hadn't I, figured it out by now, though, um. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah, these are people who sit around all day and think about ways to to break our stuff, right? And that, like I said, that's why we're going to be employed forever. That's why yeah. the circle comes around, right? Is is and we're going to end with the, the, this little anecdote. I've used it in other talks. I'm sure you've heard it, right? Is and people say, "Why do you? When are you going to fix security? You know, when are we going to fix murder? You know, rape, theft, any number of like real crimes that have happened right. in our earliest documented history. Right? One of our earliest documented stories. You know, you know, with social engineering. Right? You know, the Book of Genesis. Not strip out the religious context, just historical literature. Right? Sure. The snake tricking Eve to eat the fruit." who then got out to eat the fruit, right? That's social right. engineering. Yeah. Thousands of years before there was electricity beyond lightning strikes, yeah. right? You know, all of this is just endemic in our nature. Well, I think as long as there's been trade or money, there's been right. scams. Well, you know, and before there's been trade or money, there's been murder. Yeah. Right? You get the generation one of Cain and Abel, right? You know, now like yep. I said, whether it's literally true or not, hey, it made historical literature that far along. So it wasn't <laughs> exactly. outside their imagination of brothers killing each other. And I've got six kids. I don't think things have changed much since. <laughs> yeah, my 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 three, uh, yeah, they, they can, can prove that at times as well. Right. So, you know, and then, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, all of this is really comes down to human problem. We've been, we've been, killing and thieving and you know since the beginning of our creation now we can do it over greater distance and scale 
without international law enforcement because we don't have international law enforcement. We have national law enforcement and occasional international cooperation in ad hoc ways. Yeah, let's get an MLAT and wait nine months. Right. You know, so so here we are. Right. There's only so much I could solve solve this problem. And ergo, why we're so expensive. Right. You know, we create a system that's inherently broken, that lends itself to these vulnerabilities that are human vulnerabilities. And but I think there are some really simple things, though, that we can do to make to push the needle. Right. Resetting reputation. I, I think a relatively simple thing, a relatively benign thing that should uh, in theory, and, and obviously we haven't tested it, so I don't know that it necessarily moves the needle, but ideally I think it does. Um, there are a number of things that we do, but you know, we had the discussion before we came on. You know, people want to defend against APTs, but they don't, you know, they spend 80% of the time dealing with 1% of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, you know, the other 99% of the problem just doesn't get solved. Wow. Um, which again is why you and I will be employed for a long time. But exactly right. Uh, you know, yeah, it's it's a problem. I want to I want to help make a change to it. Um, it's it's not to classify domains, good or bad. It's it's not to assign anything. It's just genuinely to try and help companies make a competent risk decision on the risk they're accepting. And yeah, but, and that's great. And I, I want to focus on one thing, and then we'll go right. You know, it's yep. like, hey, make the world slightly better, right? You know, if there's a call to action of anybody listening to this, right? Is you know, we all have jobs, we make money, we help our companies make money. Great, fine. You know, kids got to go to college, and I can't pay for that with with you know, hope and hope and change, right? No, absolutely not. But but we all have an ability or position to try to make the world slightly better. So you know, find what that is small ways help make the incremental steps forward, you know, especially for those, you know, demographics who can't, right? We're really talking about enterprise security, right? Consumer security, there's nobody, right? You know, there's, 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 you know, (laughs) there's buy McAfee or pick your antivirus flavor. Good luck. Right. You know, so find some way to contribute, make our, our tax, our, our, uh, our tech stack more secure, make society a little bit better, do something about romance scams. We talked about Ronnie. Ronnie was a previous guest. Any number of things, right? Find something, you know, you know, need help, want to bounce ideas. I'm sure you can reach out to either of us. We'll be willing Absolutely. to do it. Right. Uh, so with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you, Mac, again, for joining. Uh, yeah, really thanks for, for the time. It was a good conversation. So, you know, you've been listening to the Death Labs podcast uh, air every other Wednesday. We'll get back on track now that RSA is behind us. We've got the, you know, three more recordings I'm doing next week. So we'll we'll definitely have a lot of content coming through. So tune in. If you'd like to be a guest, reach out. Know somebody who would be. Also, uh, have them reach out. Anything security, threat research, you know, uh, would love to talk to anybody who's doing neat things. So with that, uh, you know, subscribe to the channel, like us. We're on all the platforms and we'll see you next time here on the Death Labs podcast. Thanks and have a great day. Mm-hmm.